today's topic, how fragmented is the wireless land space, right? Um, you know, every standard that comes out obviously is bigger and better than the last. You know, it's always fantastic speeds and grand performance claims. Uh, but one of the things that work against them each and every time are the very clients that use those networks. And that's the essence of what we're gonna be talking about. Just kind of how weird this whole paradigm is from the client side. Um, when I say the left hand ain't talking to the right hand, y'all, what I mean by that is, you know, the IEEE and the Wi-Fi Alliance, they do, they do great things. And for me to say they don't um, would be absolutely disingenuous. But at the same time, you know, when these groups are chest thumping about the new standard and all the greatness that they're about to give us, the the uh, device side of uh, the whole equation when it comes to wireless is just out of sync with all of that. And again, we're going to talk about all of this. So, you know, you've got two sides or three sides, whatever you want to call it, of the industry. You've got the vendors, you've got the client devices, you've got the... Uh, regulatory and the engineering agencies. There, in my opinion, are a lot of things that are out of sync and, and that'll come through in today's discussion. Sure, we have standards, but when it comes to wireless standards, um, they're certainly uh, different to be polite. Um, they're complicated. Come along, in my opinion, kind of too often. It would be wonderful if maybe we all kind of took a pause and didn't rush forward into the next one quite so fast and actually got things right from the last one. And a lot of times we never even come close to realizing the potential of the last one before the next one comes along, which, you know, to me is uh, arguably out of touch with the reality in a lot of spots. Those who put out the clients. I don't think they either understand or they care in a lot of cases. And when I say client devices, yeah, let me uh, make sure that we are not just thinking uh, laptops and mobile devices, but all of the wireless clients that we might find on our wireless networks. It's a whole range of stuff beyond the typical compute devices, retail scanners, hospital equipment, uh, wireless time clocks, various sensors, digital signage, you know, things that, you know, may have a computer underneath them, but just feel a little bit different or things that are more appliancey. Um, if it's on our wireless network as a client, I'm talking about the whole big soup here. And in some spots, um, they're woefully lacking. They don't do enough to address things that they should. So we get a lot of excitement that'll never be realized and then we just continually have this um you know a few aspects in the standards that are just flat out lacking that you know i think the wireless world would be a lot better if they were actually those gaps were filled in and again that'll come out as we talk let me take you off to the side a little bit quick little detour um you know we're all wireless people but we also have to be Ethernet people, if we're going to be wireless people, at least to a certain degree, because if I'm not mistaken, that's how the wireless access points connect to the network. So entertain this quick detour. When we think about Ethernet and we think about Ethernet clients, 
there's not a lot of sophistication. Again, we're talking about clients, not data center stuff, but you know, things that generally connect to our edge switches. Relatively easy to troubleshoot at layer one and layer two. You know, wiring can be certified and you know, it's a good wire, it's a bad wire. That's pretty easy to definitively classify. Uh, layer two for ethernet is a heck of a lot more simple than layer two uh, for 802.11. And when you think about the grand mix of ethernet adapters that are in our uh, client hosts, there's just not a lot of variability. There's not a lot of things that you can screw up in them, if you will. So I ask you to frame your thoughts as we go forward. Again, we're still under the heading of ethernet. So when is the last time you worried about these? Is it gonna work on my LAN? Is the ethernet client gonna work on my LAN? Is it gonna work on a big LAN? Gee, what standard is this one based on? Sure, every now and then you'll get a 10-100 switch, or I'm sorry, a gigabit switch that maybe can't do 10 and you've got old clients that only do 10, like in building controls or whatever. That's about as exotic as it gets as far as that question goes, in my opinion or my experience, you know, what speeds, they're pretty discreet and easy to know about. You know, is there any kind of weird security aspects when it comes to the ethernet client? That's kind of a rarity. And again, there's just not a lot of ethernet LAN standards to contemplate. You put the damn thing on the wire and off you go. I mean, it, it tends to be that simple. And here's a big one. You know, when's the last time you've had to worry about I plug something in at home? Is it going to be different from Ethernet at work? If if we're if anybody is even still plugging in Ethernet at home, I know that maybe that's a flawed question because we're all uh, so heavily wireless. But I think hopefully you get the gist. And as we pivot away from Ethernet and we talk about Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi is certainly just different, right? Um, every wireless network is different from the next in some way, shape, or form. And it's all changing, you know, dynamically, constantly. For that matter, every cell in every wireless network changes uh, constantly. And then as we home in on our topic, we know that clients, or I'm telling you, that clients are a mix of capabilities, uh, limitations, vintages, what standard do they support? And a restatement of one of my premises, the uh, those putting out the client devices often just have no clue about what it means to put them, turn them loose in an enterprise wireless network. You know, what it, what does an enterprise wireless network feel like? And I don't I don't think they get it when they develop these devices. And again, another quick detour because it all matters. Um, before we talk about the clients, what about the infrastructure side? The clients kind of give us their own uh, bag of headaches, but clients are nothing without the infrastructure, so we'll at least give a nod to some of these. Um, you know, in the 802.11 standards, there's a lot that the vendors need to figure out, you know, how to implement or even if to implement. This is all the optional stuff. Um, 
Things like uh, roaming is a big one. How does a client roam? What is the roaming algorithm? Yeah, it's up to the vendor to decide, the client vendor or the, um, yeah, from the infrastructure side, what influences roaming and, you know, how do you do things like band steering and, and all of these things that may or may not have an influence on the client. There's a whole bunch that the infrastructure vendors can do um, that, you know, isn't spelled out in the standards, this whole notion of uh, how is the network going to work under the hood. Again, the special sauces thing, band steering is a great example of special sauces. Um, it's just not in the standard. You won't find band steering in the standard. The vendors try to take advantage of things that are, are in the standard, but how they leverage these uh, features, how they approach them is all individualized among the vendors. I put simple client access in red because I think a lot of vendors uh, sometimes lose sight that the, of the fact that the primary purpose of a wireless network is to get clients connected and simply let them work, let them do what they need to do. Uh, you know, once upon a time you'd buy an access point and clients would get on and, and that was, you know, the big Hoopla, look what we're doing. We're not connected with wires. This is all, you know, very uh, portable and very mobile and woo, this is great. And access points used to be the big story. You know, we've got this great, wonderful access point and, you know, range and uh, capabilities and speeds. There was a time when all of that was what was exciting. And now access points are kind of down the list of what vendors want to talk about. Now you've got these giant sometimes house of cards uh, feature boxes and client access isn't always prioritized for wireless networks. And that's kind of strange. I know that vendors mean well, I know that they tout innovation and they need to have things to sell, but often, Again, speaking from experience, they're creating as many problems as they solve. And if I, you know, if I focus on the band steering thing again, we all try it, we all end up disabling it. And there's a reason across every vendor's uh, product set, or at least most of us do, um, from what I think I know and from what I hear from other people. And, you know, great that uh, they're trying to differentiate one from the next but they're also introducing problems that get in the way of client access. Uh, as networks grow, as they become bigger in both complexity and scale, you know, code bugs show their ugly faces. There's a lot going on right now in higher ed. I will not name the vendor, but there's one major vendor that's really struggling with some stuff at scale. And a lot of ugly business comes out at scale. Not the vendor's fault, they're dealing with some uh, client related issues, but again, the notion of things happen at scale. So it's very hard to QA is, is pretty important. So all that being said, you know, we talked about ethernet, we talked about the infrastructure. I promised you we'd talk about the fragmentation of the client device space, and that's what we're about to delve into. So again, with ethernet, you know, use that as our reference pretty easy to, uh, you know, get on a computer spec sheet or whatever and well, uses gigabit ethernet. That's all you need to know. That 
doesn't lead to, you know, 50 other questions about its capabilities. You know that it's gigabit capable and off you go. With wireless, you know, you might get some information that you need to know if it's going to be a good fit before a client comes to the network, or you might not. Um, some of the things that are can be murky to figure out about clients. This is where I'll pause and say, yes, we can get a lot of this from the packet captures, and we can get a lot of this about digging into the frames. And, you know, we, we know, uh, many of us know that client capabilities are, um, you know, basically manifested in the frames, and, and you can figure out what a device is capable of after you get it on the network, and when you need to start troubleshooting it because you're having problems. But the point I'm trying to make here is that it would be wonderful if, you know, there was more consistency and at least better documentation on the things that I'm about to list out here so you could anticipate how a given client might work on your network. So output power supported channels, a lot of devices out there that don't support all of the channels that you probably use in your network. Um, that is getting better as a whole but it's still not universal across devices. You know, whether it's a, a single radio device like on the mobiles or whether it's a, you know, two by two laptop or a three by three or a four by four, whatever, a lot of times that is not called out in any specs, um, any obvious easily found specs. Uh, one of my favorites, hey, we wanna put this thing on the business network. Well, does it support our security? I don't know, how would I find out? Well, I'll probably have to call the vendor because nothing in the docs that you just sent me says either way, whether it's, you know, um, just PSK or, you know, you can do 802.1X, but maybe just only one or two obscure flavors and not the kind we use, um, all the important stuff. Note there's an asterisk when I talk about home environments and we'll explore that one. So I'll just leave it here. But you know, is this device at home at home? Maybe not a good fit for the enterprise. Roaming behaviors, already talked about that a little bit. Um, you're just not gonna know. And then even if you figure it out by testing, it might change in the very next firmware release. And you know, good luck finding the vendor's explanation on, on roaming behaviors and roaming behaviors on a wireless network where clients are meant to roam are pretty darn important. And optional standards, uh, protocols required, really hard to just look at a device's spec sheets, even if everything above this bullet were to be spelled out and it never would be, what other goofy stuff needs to happen on the network? What other special circumstances does the device need on a network before it's going to work properly? And there are a lot of quirky wireless network devices that need everything to be just so, or they're not gonna fit in very well. And as I pointed out before, a lot of times, um, you know, the client, the client vendors, you know, what was their worldview when they put that thing out there? What kind of environments did they think that their stuff would and could work in? So back to that asterisk about the home network thing. Um, 
And again, you know, I, I know I sound like I'm throwing dirt at the Wi-Fi Alliance. Uh, I don't mean to. To me, it's more objectively pointing out a gap is, is how I feel like I'm, I'm trying to come across, even though it may sound, you know, cynical, negative, whatever. Got a lot of certification programs, but they don't do anything meaningful that says this device is going to work great at home where almost everything works great. Bring it to the business network and you may have problems. And that could be because the thing needs to be on a single class C network. It could be because the thing needs to be on the same uh, network segment as anything wired it might ever uh, come in contact with. It might need multicast and you don't run multicast in your wireless network. It may need to be the only client on an AP to work right. It may need its own SSID. It may need its own all kinds of things that fall apart when you get to the enterprise. And to me, again, that's a, a fairly major gap. I don't think it would take a lot of effort to define what it means to be consumer versus enterprise meaningfully with good input from the field, which is one of the places I think the Alliance lacks because it's a pay to play uh, endeavor. Um, and that's not a bad thing. It just, again, stating fact, it is what it is. But I, I think this is a problem and, you know, we'll, we'll see going forward uh, some examples. looking out the window to make sure there's not a white van with a guy with a crossbow from the Alliance drawing a beat on me here. But hey, we got standards, right? Eh, well, hopefully by now you understand I don't think the standards go far enough in a lot of places. <coughs> so things I have seen firsthand with mine own eyes along um, this topic uh, these Wi-Fi devices I've run across, I've touched, I've been frustrated, I've figured out how to accommodate, I've said we absolutely can't accommodate this, you name it. Um, we've got different, you know, different flavors of what resolution was or was not in these circumstances. Sometimes working with the vendors, developers to help them understand where they're short. But, um, you know, handheld, Retail ticket scanners, your ticket master and your inventory uh, devices of the world, police car, wireless interfaces that only support a couple of channels and then have some goofy um, requirements behind that. Building control components, I think the people working on that are uh, can be absolutely on another planet with how they think wireless should work and can work and some of the goofy things they do. and. Um, you know, you can read the list for yourself. It just goes on and on. The streaming devices especially are a great example of the things that work good at home, but sometimes crumble on a big network, or they sometimes need other things happening on the network that we typically don't or don't want to provide on big wireless networks for various reasons. Lab equipment, hospital, um, you know, hospital client devices. Probably none of this is news to some of you. So that being said, I'm just checking our time here. That being said, let me uh, show you some glimpses from uh, various environments that I support. 
hopefully it's not too much of an eye chart for you. Um, this particular environment, I think I grabbed from a branch location. Yeah, this is a university branch location. So, you know, the, the point here is if you look at the capabilities, um, we've got everything from 11AC to AX. And if you scroll down, um, you know, we've still got some 11N clients out there. If you were to expand this out to my entire kingdom, uh, every now and then, even though we don't support 11B, I see an 11B device still come knocking on the door. Um, you know, I'll see an 11A device still come knocking on the door occasionally. So the point here, there, there's two points, um, one I haven't touched yet, but the um, 2.4, or I'm sorry, the standards that are in play. This is a BYDO, BYOD environment. I don't have sway over what network devices will show up. You know, Maybe you have the luxury of doing that, but a lot of us don't. And this is just kind of sticking the thumb up in the wind and saying, you know, what's it feel like up there for a client mix? And you can see that it's a pretty good variety. The other thing I want to point out on this particular, um, this is from a Meraki dashboard, is the fast lane capable. Um, for those who don't know, fast lane is a, um, initiative, if you will, um, between Apple and Cisco that, you know, prioritizes, if, if you fully implement it and buy into it, it prioritizes uh, Apple devices and lets them, you know, have enhanced performance. I'll, I'll just try not to go off on a tangent, but it's an example of one of those non-standards things that you may uh, be faced with. Yes, I can implement Fastlane, but that might be great for Apple people on my Cisco or Meraki network, but it may leave other devices in a pinch if I don't implement it just the right way, or it may require yet another SSID uh, as the DMARC between the, the haves and the have-nots that maybe I would really rather not do um, again, but some devices can support Fastlane and it's gonna be the Apples and some cannot. So an example of um, the fragmentation I talk about. This slide I'll probably use in every presentation I ever do on any topic ever. Uh, I used it the last time too and God bless Scott for putting it on Twitter. Uh, he's trying to add a uh, IoT device and it will only work on 2.4. Again, um, you know, why spend a nickel, put in the other radio, but I can go better uh, on this theme. I was actually trying to help uh, people figure out why their uh, consumer grade uh, light panels, these ambiance lighting things that you tape up on the wall, you know, why won't they join this particular network? This one product set could obviously detect five gig, but if there was a five gig network with the same SSID as the 2.4, it wouldn't join it. And it would say something like, um, you know, basically whatever the messaging was, it says, ah, we know there's five gig here, uh, change the SSID to something else because we don't want five gig and 2.4 to have the same SSID and we can only connect to 2.4 even though we're aware of five gig. 
it's like, oh, okay, what is this and why? Uh, one of the strangest products I've ever seen uh, when you figure out what it has a beef with. Um, very strange. Thank you for letting me exploit you, Scott. And you probably don't even know I am. Uh, this, um, this is a screenshot from a Cisco 8540 controller. And the big thing to, to focus on, if you go down to the bottom, um, the bottom fields where, you know, things are not supported. We don't support this client. These are the client capabilities as the controller sees it, things that the client doesn't support, which also implies that some clients will support it. So, you've got a wireless system that needs to um, care about whether something is supported or not. And I don't even want to get into the specifics of what is and what isn't. The point here is some people got it, some people don't. Whatever the it is, I promise is significant. <laughs> so you, the wireless admin, has to contemplate everything that might hit your network you have to somehow try to contemplate all of the various permutations of capabilities and things that client devices can do and somehow prioritize them into a uh, formula that ends up being what your wireless network config is, except you, back to my earlier point, you really can't know about a lot of devices what they can do because none of it's documented and the client device makers don't see fit to share it. Um, or to even, you know, they probably don't even know what their own devices do. It's all very challenging. It's all very strange. Uh, this is a small business environment. You're looking at a Ubiquity dashboard. Um, you can see that we have a mix of, if you look under the Wi-Fi connection um, field, we have a mix of uh, 802.11NA and AC. So we've got five gig working in 11N. And um, what's interesting is if you look at the 11N device on the top, and if you look at the signal strengths, how close they are together under the second to last column, um, look at the difference in rates. Again, there's no real point here other than just the crazy uh, behavior among clients. Um, you know, why is one doing 300 meg and another one at almost the same signal strength is, is only doing 162? Part of the reason is um, I know what the, the clients are and, you know, one of them is lacking a radio uh, versus the other. But again, it's just such a a soupy mix of stuff. And somehow it's incumbent upon us when somebody comes and says, hey, the second client in my list is a lot slower than my other one and you need to fix the network because I don't wanna be that slow. I wanna have the same speed as the other one. And then out comes the speech about, well, you know, we have to consider your client devices and this one does this and this one does that, so on and so on. Uh, this is my own home environment, and again, you're looking here at a um, ubiquity dashboard, and I know I'm pressing my time, so I'm um, 
I won't dwell on a lot of it, but same deal. If you look at the Wi-Fi connection column at the top, um, we've got some 2.4 gig devices. That's all those devices are capable of. It's not what they chose to go to. Um, a lot of them are fairly modern devices, um, you know, last few years, and they're still locked into 2.4. And then we have a bunch that are five gig, and then uh, different behaviors, you know, signal versus uh, data rates. And again, I know that there's a lot here to digest, but if nothing else, the point is, you know, this is a just a crazy mix of devices and capabilities. And in here, we've got compute devices, we've got some sensors, and, um, you know, there's a Chromecast, and, um, you know, it's just all over the place. This is a uh, cafe slash uh, little store. And um, here we have a mix of same deal, 11N, 11AC, Android printers. Um, there was something significant about this particular slide. We've still got some fast lane capable, some not. You know, back to the Apple versus the world uh, story. And I'm just going to uh, let my thought that I had on this one go in the interest of time. Here is the um, spec sheet from an iPhone 12 Pro. It's like, okay, they're giving you a lot of information. That's great, telling you all kinds of uh, stuff regarding 5G that I cut off at the top, the bands they play in, and tells you, you know, it's AX, it's two by two. You know, thank you, Apple, for telling us that. But what don't you see on here? Well, what's our output power? What's our roaming? Um, how does this feel compared to the 11 that I might be replacing or the eight or whatever? All of that's upon you to figure out whether you have to change the network. If you wholesale swap out a bunch of phones for these, are they going to act differently? Um, again, what they're not telling you and um, you know things that are very important to know from our perspective. We are getting to the end here, I promise. Um, the red text I added because I just wanted to see, I went to Amazon, I looked at Roku's and nowhere in the Amazon description do you even know what standard the individual Roku devices are based on. And it only stands to reason that some would be, you know, products mature and products evolve. You don't know that when you're looking at Amazon. You go to buy a device and you have no idea that it's, you know, 2.4 only um, for the third one in, unless you go to Roku and dig around the spec sheets. And then you have to know what you're looking for. And how many people out there, other than us wireless geeks, know what we should really be looking for? So maybe this is failed marketing or something, but it, it's just, you know, more. Um, to me, more proof positive that the vendors just aren't realizing what people need to hear and know to make good choices. And my last, um, it's not exactly a bombshell. Uh, it really isn't about to get better anytime soon. I don't see anything changing any of this. We're all just kind of stuck with it. 
and maybe that's kind of anticlimactic and boy, wouldn't it be great if there was some hope to offer? I really don't have any. It just is what it is. But I do know that um, it is important to call it out and talk about it and examine it and embrace it and realize just how messy the whole thing is um, because it will help you to support your wireless networks better. And with that, I don't know if there's time for any of this, Jim, but. Yeah, yeah, we can t spend a few minutes on uh, Q&A. We have a few good questions uh, in from the audience and uh, nice job, Lee. And and I actually share your um, concern. I think it's the, the fragmentation is going to get worse in terms of the, the gulf from the highest and, and least capable clients that are available. I think people are going to be, you know, vendors are going to make 802.11n devices for the next decade because they're low cost and they want to make something that, uh, you know, in the IoT space, for example, just has really basic connectivity and is, you know, extremely cheap to produce in the millions. So, you know, it's, uh, it's a, a growing concern for sure. Um, uh, so question here from uh, Olivier. He says, uh, Lee, with the surge of students coming back to campus, uh, what is currently your biggest headache on your university Wi-Fi? Anything new in 2021, Lee? Um, so I'll try to be brief, but complete. So, you know, you've got a, you do everything you can do. You put out a really good wireless network. Um, you know, it has to conform to your organizational policies and, um, you know, you've got the security uh, that, that meets what the organization says it should be built into your systems and, um, you know, you, you do everything you can, but then, you know, students show up and if they run into any problems or any perceived problems, like I don't know how to get on 802.1x even though you give me um, a really easy tool to use on a network that is named um, what probably most of us would feel is obvious. This is where you go to get configured for the secure network. They show up and they can't immediately understand what's going on um, because they're overwhelmed with all kinds of paperwork, all kinds of forms. So they never really got the message on computing and out comes the hotspot. And then the next person says, sees, oh, he's using the hotspot. I'll use my hotspot. And then it's just this copycat of hotspots all over the place. Um, that's probably the biggest issue is how do you effectively communicate to people? Um, this is the network you should be using. And this isn't just students. This is adjunct um, faculty and uh, everybody. So by and large, the biggest problem that I see is hotspots and the growing culture around hotspots it has nothing to do with our uh, network goodness or badness. The culture is, you know, if I can't connect, I whip out that hotspot. And, and that's a really kind of a hard thing to, you know, hard thing to overcome and a hard thing to combat. So um, there's that. And then as far as devices go, it's always the consumer uh, oddball stuff. You never know what is going to land in the dorms and whether you're going to be able to uh, make it work on your current topology or not. And sometimes you actually have to say no and explain why and, um, 
you know, sometimes you can't do a workaround, but uh, by far it's the consumer on the, on the technical side, it's the consumery uh, oddball devices that are um, the biggest challenge. A uh, nice comment here from Anders, uh, and I'm going to try and use this, Anders, but he says, I'm from time to time asked to build a highway that can make an old Model T go 120 miles an hour. So a good way of explaining the challenges with poor performing clients. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, kind of an extension of that, you know, fighting one of them this morning. It absolutely works at home. Your network sucks. I know your network is the problem because I don't have any problems at home. Well, you have a single router at home. You don't have, um, you know, enterprise security, this, that, and the other thing. Yeah, it's just, yeah, you build a great network, but the devices are still, each and every device is its own story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Maybe one last uh, question. Um, this is from Chris, who says, uh, what's the best way to determine client abilities if the spec sheets don't show it? Uh, absolute best way. So if it's a device that you can get a hold of the old PCAP and you know, you read the capabilities and the various uh, parts of the capture, that's going to be extremely helpful. If you don't have that luxury, I find myself going to the FCC uh, database and there's uh, the FCC's own version. And then there's another one. I think it's FCC lookup dot FCC lookup dot something. Um, but if you can find how they filed with the FCC and tested to be, you know, accepted for use in the US, you won't find everything in there, but you'll find a lot like output power. Um, you'll get a general sense of uh, how the device was built. Like say so you won't find everything, but you'll get more than you'll do better than not knowing anything, I guess is a, a good way of putting it. And often you'll, you'll know enough to at least have a sense of how it's going to behave on your network. Yeah. And if you're lucky enough to be, you know, um, dealing with corporate owned assets, you, you know, before they're procured, make sure you do a, a, a POC with them, get some demo units and, and try them out on your network and find out what their performance looks like. Because even in that case, it doesn't really, you don't know until you've actually tried it, put it that way. Yeah, absolutely. It's a double-edged sword. You have to try it to know, but at the same time, you have to spend money to try it only to find out sometimes that that money really never should have been spent because it's abysmal. Um, so a lot of times you're Googling, you're talking to other people who might have gone down that road before you're, you know, you're uh, searching for other problems. People who have bought the hardware, like in different forums uh, might talk about, I know I get called on a lot of times to comment on, um, you know, I've got somebody who's interested in using this particular video extender. Is it going to cause problems in our environment or this particular blah, blah, blah. And thankfully, they're asking before the money is spent, you know, some wireless scoreboard, whatever. And um, 
you know, a lot of times all you have to go on is your research and, um, you know, the conclusions you draw based on your own experience and, you know, what you think you can figure out about these devices really, um, you know, has a lot of impact on people when they come and ask you. So that, that whole research thing is, at least for me, pretty important in this whole equation too. Yeah, for sure.